in God's house, we must learn to treat each other with honor. Older men and women as fathers and mothers, younger men and women as brothers and sisters, and spiritual leaders with double honor. Okay, let's prepare um, to uh, make our declaration this morning. So if you have your Bibles, um, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read a verse from there that is uh, familiar to all of us. And uh, then we're going to rise up and make our declaration. Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we'll read verse 17. Ephesians 6 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul, of course, in this chapter is teaching us about the armor of God, that which God has given to us to stand up, withstand, and overcome all the works of the enemy. And then he tells us as part of this armor in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, just a reminder that we have to take the sword. Right? So God's not going to do it for us. Of course, God does engage on our behalf. But in, in using the armor he's given to us, We've got to pick up the sword right, and use it. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So God's Word has been given to us as part of our sword or our weapon against the enemy. We use it. How do we use the Word of God? What do you do with words? Swallow it? <laughs> speak it. So what do we do with words? We Speak it. So we've got to speak the word. Say what God says. And that's a weapon. It's a sword of the Spirit, which I use or you use. But the Holy Spirit is behind it. So when I speak the word, when I say what God says, when you say what God says, the Holy Spirit now is involved going up against the enemy. Amen? You speak the word, but it's the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, He's going to go up against it, and no enemy can withstand or come or prevail against the Holy Spirit. Definitely not. But we've got to speak the word. And I want to encourage you: you speak the word in areas that you find the enemy coming up against you. You speak the word. Say what God says concerning that area of your life. You declare. And the Holy Ghost will go into action on your behalf. Amen? So we train ourselves every Sunday, or most Sundays, to make our declarations. So let's rise up to our feet. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to hold it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold, and strong. Let's say this together. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His Word. I believe His Word. And I live by His Word. Christ is my master, and to Him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. 
please turn to the person or people next to you, shake hands, say hello, give them a big smile, and uh, then you may be seated, please. Over the last several weeks, we've been studying through Paul's first epistle to Timothy. So let's all turn there, please, to 1 Timothy, and we are in chapter 5. So today, we're going to pick up in the fifth chapter of Paul's first epistle to Timothy, and we're going to spend some time learning some things from this chapter. Now, just as a quick review, because we had a little gap there with Good Friday and Easter, and uh, in case we've forgotten what we've heard so far, <laughs> just do a very quick review, uh, bring us all up to date so that we could then pick up on chapter 5. So, this is Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul has appointed Timothy to take care of the church in Ephesus. Timothy is a young man at that time. He's about 35. We estimate, it's not precise, but we estimate he's about 35 years of age. He's been put in charge of a very strong, powerful, spiritual church in Ephesus, which is also in some way a mother church to other churches in that region, Asia Minor. In that region, we know that there were seven churches which are addressed in the, uh, in the first few chapters of Revelation. They're all in that same region. And Ephesus is like the mother church to all of those churches. And Paul is in charge of this. We said that Paul, uh, Timothy, sorry, Timothy is in charge of this. Timothy has spent about... 18 years now, traveling with the Apostle Paul. He's traveled with him for 18 years, learned much in the ministry, and finally Paul has decided to appoint him as pastor of that church in Ephesus. Paul is on his way back to Rome at this time. He, he comes into the region called, in biblical times, called Thessalonica, which is currently Eastern Europe. He's there. He's on his way to Rome but from there, he writes two epistles, which is 1 Timothy and also Titus, because he's also appointed Titus to take care of the church in Crete. So Paul writes these two epistles. Now, both Timothy and Titus have worked with Paul several years, but yet Paul feels the need to write them specific instructions on how to take care of the churches that he's appointed them to lead. So he writes 1 Timothy, sends it off to Timothy. He heads off to Rome and by the time he reaches Rome, it's about AD 68. Sure, and, and, and Paul, you know, is once again in prison there. And he writes his last episode, which is 2 Timothy. And shortly after that, Paul is beheaded in Rome. That is around AD 68. So this episode, 1 Timothy, is very important as far as understanding how the local church should function, how things should happen inside the local church. Uh, it's very important for us as Paul writes on these things. So up to what we have been doing is every, each Sunday as we studied these chapters, we've highlighted one key takeaway. What was the key point from chapter one? Whoa, you guys are good. <laughs> I was in the south this morning and I asked the first question, the whole church went silent. <laughs> So, okay, you guys are doing so much better. Okay, what is the key takeaway from chapter 1? Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. So, that's the main takeaway. That is, we have to love people, but you've got to love people out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. Key takeaway from chapter 2? Pray. Pray for all everywhere. Like, pray for everyone. Pray, right? 
key takeaway from chapter 3. There's got to be proper conduct in the house of God, right? So Paul writes about that in chapter 3. Key takeaway from chapter 4, be an example. All of these are, you know, specific verses from each chapter. So from chapter 4, we pointed out verse 12, where Paul encourages Timothy. He says, Timothy, you be an example of the believers. You set the standard. You be the model. Then everybody else can follow. They have a visible uh, expression of what a believer ought to be like. So you be an example of the believers uh, and in all these areas. So let's pick up now in chapter 5. We're going to read the whole chapter and, and just pick up lessons from that chapter for us as a church community. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, we'll start with verse 1. Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, Do not rebuke an older man. But exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows. But, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not lay the, let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that, that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Now, when studying this chapter, or just looking at this chapter, I've, um, 
I've broken it down into six sections or six portions that we're going to cover. So uh, I will just mention these six sections that we're going to talk about in 1 Timothy chapter 5. First, uh, Paul addresses relationships within the church. So that's verses 1 to 3. Believers' responsibility for their own family, that's verses 4 through 8. Then he talks about the church's responsibility towards widows. This is verses 9 through 16. Then he writes to Timothy on how he should lead other spiritual leaders. That's verses 17 to 20. And then there are some personal notes to Timothy as a spiritual leader. Verses 21 to 23. And then he talks about outcomes of lifestyle. That's verses 24 and 25. So we, that's, we just broken this chapter down into these sections and we will look at them. So let's look at the first part, which is uh, uh, relationships within the church, verses 1, 2, and 3. So Paul tells Timothy, do not rebuke an older man. Because Timothy, you don't, you, know, you don't deal harshly with somebody who's older to you. But what do you do? He says, you t- this is what you need to do. You exhort them as fathers, uh, as a father, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Honor widows who are really widows. So... In essence, what Paul Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, here's how relationships should work within the church. You honor older people as fathers and mothers. Younger people, you treat them as brothers and sisters. And those are widows, honor them. The key thing is simply simply this, honor everyone. Amen? Now, I I know that here as part of our culture, we, we are trained, at least, it used to be that way. <laughs> we used to, you know, uh, we would, res- you know, out of respect, we would say when somebody's older, we'd call them Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so. Or if you know them a little better, you'll call them uncle and auntie. Just as a sign of respect, out of honor, right? And you do things that way. You honor, you show respect, you demonstrate it. You honor those who are older, treat them as fathers and mothers, Younger people, you treat them as brothers and sisters and honor widows. You know, you respect them. So the key thing is you're in our relationships. There's got to be honor. Yes? Amen? And then he continues from there, verses 4 onwards. He is talking about believers' responsibility for their own family, verses 4 through 8. And he starts off, of course, by addressing a situation of need in the family, that of widows. He says, look, if there's somebody who's lost their spouse, I know in, in his writing he's specifically addressing the women, she, but we could definitely apply it even for the man. So if the husband or the wife, they've lost their spouse, what does he say? If, verse 4, if they have children or grandchildren, let the ch- children or grandchildren show piety at home. Demonstrate your, I'm using the word religion for a lack of a better word. Demonstrate your religion. Demonstrate your faith. Where? At home. By taking care of that need that is in your home. You all with me? See? Show your faith there. Let them show piety. Let them show that at home. And to repay their parents. Do something to take care of that need. Do, it, do something to address that need. Rather than saying, what can the church do for this? No. Start first with the children, the grandchildren. Let them respond to that need. 
How are they going to address that? They show piety, show your faith, show your, your religion, show that at home by doing something to address the need of, of this person who's been widowed. And it says in verse 4, for this is good and acceptable before God. This is a good thing to do. That as believers, we honor in, at home, in the family. Do what you can. The children or the grandchildren. Reach out to either the parent or the grandparent who's been widowed. Show, demonstrate your faith at home. Because this is good and acceptable in the eyes of God. Are you listening? Most of us say, okay, let's see what the church can do. We get to that. The church has a responsibility. But first thing he's saying, let's look at the children. Let's look at the grandchildren. What can they do for the need that is in their home? And then he talks about uh, who a real widow is. He says, you know, this is who a real widow is. And uh, she, she spends her time in prayer, verse 5, in supplications and prayers. And uh, uh, and that's how she's got to live. She's, she's spending her time doing that. And notice verse 7. He says, and these things command that they may be blameless. That means talk about these things in church, Timothy. Tell people how they've got to live in their home. Command these things. It's, that's a strong word. He didn't say suggest. He says, these things command. You instruct God's people. This is how they've got to live their family life. Their life at home. So that... They may be blameless. I mean, this is the right way to live before God. Teach these things in the church. Teach these things in the house of God. So people know how to live at home. And that they can be right in the eyes of God. And then he makes a very strong statement there in verse 8. He says, look, if somebody does not provide for his own, especially for his own household... He says, very strong. He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, I cannot separate my faith in God from my responsibility to my family. If I do that and I say, look, you know, God will just take and abandon. He says, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty strong. You know, so we've got to be careful here that my faith is not cannot become uh, an excuse or a reason for me to abandon the responsibility of my family. The need that is there. I've got to attend to it. I've got to take care of it. If I just run away from that, I don't take care of, I don't provide for my own house. Paul says, you're worse than an unbeliever. And then he gets down now from verse 9 through 16. You all with me so far? I know it's pretty serious stuff here. <laughs> Verse 9 through 16, now he's talking, then he addresses the whole issue of what should the church do for those who are really widows, right? But he has a qualifier uh, for who a real widow is according to the definition here. He says in verse 9, a widow is somebody above 60 years of age. And verse 10, she is somebody, uh, she's been the wife of one man. And verse 10, she's... Um, Really serve the church. She's been, uh, she's done a lot of good works. She's uh, taking care of strangers, served the saints and, and those who have been afflicted. And she's been diligent in every good work. So that's the definition. If you find such a person, 60 years of age or above, uh, been the wife of one man and she's really served the church. Now the church has a responsibility. You need to take care of such people. Are you understanding? 
That means we need to take care of their needs, make sure they're able to live the rest of their life. They have food provided for, they have a place to live, etc. The church, the local church community should do something for them, is what Paul is teaching. But, verse 11, verses 11 through 16, he's talking about young widows. And what's Paul saying there? He's saying, basically, if young widows, uh, they're left by themselves, they get into all sorts of unnecessary things. So, he encourages in that passage there, let, uh, verse 14, let them marry, bear children, manage a home, and, you know, uh, go forward in life. So, the young widows, Paul says, let them get married, set up a home, move forward. Ends up getting involved in all the wrong things, and may even, you know, go away from the faith. So, in order to avoid that, we encourage this. But notice in verse 16, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. That means the church should really take care of people who do not have the means to take care of themselves. But those who have the ability, they should take care of parents or the grandparents take care of them. So not just come in and put the burden on the church. You're with me so far? Right? And then now Paul changes in this chapter, verse 17 onwards. We're going to look at verses 17 to 20. As Paul is talking to Timothy, now he's teaching Timothy on how he as a leader should lead other leaders. Because remember, the church in Ephesus already had an established leadership, which Paul appointed nine years prior. Nine years before this, writing of this letter, Paul had set up, spent three years in Ephesians. He'd also already raised up leaders there. And so they already have elders there. And now Paul is telling Timothy how he should lead the leaders. Verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. Now, implying there that, look, we are going to treat everybody with honor, but... The elders, the word elders as a presbyter, that means uh, it's used for anybody in spiritual leadership. Those who labor in word and doctrine, let them be treated with double honor. I mean, you really give them respect. You with me so far? Right? So you treat people. So, and he says, Timothy, you also, you treat everybody with honor, but you give double honor to those who are under your leadership or laboring in word and doctrine. And verse 18, he says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox, while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Saying that those who are laboring in word and doctrine, they are, should be taken care of. Their needs also should be taken care of. So now, at, at All People's Church, one of the ways in which we function is we have lots of volunteers. And many of our spiritual leaders, those who are in various ministry functions and leadership here in church, are actually volunteers. Because uh, they have the means to work a regular job and, and earn money. And that really helps us as a church. Right? So many of our, even our associate, many of our associate pastors, we do have full-time pastors and staff. But many others are actually volunteers. They work a full-time job outside Many of our other uh, leaders who serve are all volunteers. Those serving in many ministries uh, serve as volunteers. So uh, we are not neglecting the fact that we do need to take care of their spirit, physical needs. That's, that's mandated in Scripture. But because people have the means, especially in urban centers and cities, they have the means to earn uh, 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 their own livelihood and, uh, and uh, 
the, the work that's being done in the church is not demanding that much of time. We function this way, and we really appreciate uh, all the volunteers and, and spiritual, leaders, spiritual leaders in church who are serving voluntarily. But in Scripture, we know we should and, uh, you know, take care of their needs uh, as and when required. Verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So if somebody comes and says, so he's telling Timothy, look, somebody comes and tells you, okay, I found some problem here with this leader. You, know, you appointed him and got it from. You don't make a decision based on one person's words. What do you got to do? Investigate. You need at least two or more witnesses. Right? So you don't just go and make a decision based on, oh, somebody said something about you, so no. You, you check. You investigate. You need more or two or three witnesses. And there have been situations over our journey as a church when I've had to do that. When somebody said something about somebody, I said, no, we won't make a decision based on one person's word. We sit down, find out what's going on, get into the problem, investigate. Uh, and uh, then you, most of the time you'll find it's just one person's, you know, misgivings about somebody and it's not worth pursuing. So you just let it go. But he says in verse 20, those who are sinning, so that means leaders who are continuing to sin, those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. So if you find a leader that is under your leadership who is continuing to sin, is continuing to do things wrong, that means, you've, that means there's this, it's implying that you've dealt with this issue privately, said, look, there's got to be change, you've got to address this privately, you've addressed it privately, but they are continuing to sin. That means those who are sinning, they're continuing to do something wrong as leaders. In that case, you need to address the matter publicly, right? But you've done what you can do in making sure that you've investigated it, You've checked it out. You've brought about private correction, but it's continuing. Now you're addressing it in public. You're going to deal with that in public so that other people may also fear. Other people may also know that that kind of thing is not acceptable. They should not be drawn away with that. Verse 21. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. So Timothy, as a leader... You've got to be, be careful that you do nothing out of prejudice, your personal bias, or partiality, favoritism. You're with me so far? Yes. So as a leader, it's so important. And uh, as a church community, we are called all people's church. So we don't give any preference to a certain language group, a certain cultural group, nothing of that. We are all people. We treat everyone equally. Amen? And we, in our leadership, or people who are serving, who are heading up ministries, people, we have people from diverse backgrounds and language groups and cultures. We do not have any prejudice, no partiality. That's important. That's an instruction in the Word of God. Amen? And we try our best to continue that way. And I personally try to just identify with all people, I mean, all kinds of people. So when they're there are people from the north. Then I say, oh, yeah, 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 I'm part north. You know, I'm right from part of me is from Rajasthan. You know then I find some people from south. They say, yeah, part of me is from Tamil. <laughs> and some people from Canada say, yeah, part of me is Canadian, whatever. So I just, you know, just play the game. Just identify with everyone. No prejudice. No partiality. Because that's the instruction in scripture. And the same thing in all the decisions that we make. Whenever we make decisions, I try not to just... Say, you know, how does this thing meet this person's need? 
I always step back and look at the big picture. Because if we address one decision a certain way, we've got to do that across the board for everybody. Otherwise, it becomes partiality. So in making decisions, always take a step back and look at the big picture. Saying, okay, if there's some person who comes with a need, if we as a church respond to this need like this, that means we have to respond the same way to all other needs, the same needs presented to us. You with me? So that's why I can't just respond to, or we cannot just respond to a need the same way. I mean, just a certain way, right away. We take a step back and saying, look, we are setting a precedent if we do this. How is it going to affect? Or what, how will it become a, a, a guideline or, you know, in, in, in organizations, you call it a standard operating procedure for all such matters. So you always got to think that way because you want to be fair to everybody. You understand? Right? So as a leader, Paul is saying, Timothy, you got to do this. And then he says, Timothy, I am charging you in the sight of God, the Lord Jesus Christ and the angels. Meaning, Timothy, hey, you've got people watching over you. God is watching you. The Lord Jesus is watching you. There are angels watching you. So therefore, don't do anything out of partiality or prejudice in your heart. You with me? Amen. And then he continues. Probably the, uh, oh yeah, verse 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Now, remember the context is leadership. Laying on of hands in the New Testament is for several purposes. One is when you're ministering healing, you're ministering deliverance, you're laying hands on people. But also when you're appointing leadership, you're laying hands on people. So in this context, he's dealing with leadership. He's not dealing with you know, ministering healing or deliverance. So in this context, he says, don't lay hands on anybody means don't appoint anybody into leadership in a hurried way. You know what we've learned, and sometimes we've made mistakes, and of course you learn through mistakes, that once you give a role, and once you give somebody a position, it's very difficult to take it away. It's very difficult. It's very delicate. So what we've learned over the years, of course, we made a lot of mistakes in the beginning. But what we've learned over the years is we first let people function and see how they function. And if they do well in the function, then we give them the position and title. It's a very safe way to operate. You can do that in church. So usually people come and say, I want to, oh, pastor, I want to do something. Oh, yeah, do, 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 do whatever you want. Do it. You know, just serve. Just, just find where you want to go and start serving. There will be no title. There will be no uh, position for that. Just serve. But then you're watching their function. And if they do it well, then you bring in their function and role or the title. Because now you know they've proved themselves. That's what Paul even taught in the third chapter. Before you appoint bishops and before you appoint deacons, first prove them, then give them, then appoint them. So that's how we operate across um, all our locations in church. We, we, we don't lay hands. We don't appoint people hastily into their role in the function. Uh, just let them serve. And then comes the title. And then comes all that. And then he says, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself Pure. Don't get caught up in other people's wrongdoing. You know, so many times people like to use the pastor's name for lots of things. Pastor said this. Pastor said that. So I've got to be careful. And that's true of all our leadership here. We've got to be careful not to get our name pulled into so many things. Why are you doing it? Pastor told me. So that immediately becomes licensed to do something. So we are very careful. I try to tell people, you know, I can counsel you, but your decision is your decision. 
Don't put my name on it. <laughs> you are responsible for your decision. I can guide you. I can tell you what the word says. I can counsel you. But you've got to take your responsibility, take responsibility for your decision. Others, a pastor told me to get married to him. <laughs> pastor told me to get married to her. <laughs> no, that was your decision. <laughs> Uh, and like that, there are so many, so many situations where we've got to be on guard. And our name doesn't get dragged in. Or we personally don't get dragged in into things that we should not be involved in. Uh, whether it's business dealings and other things like that. No, you make your decision. I can counsel you, guide you. But we've got to stay away. Why? Because we don't want to get dragged in to what other people are doing. And especially if it's wrong. So stay away. Do not become an accomplice. Don't participate in those things. Keep yourself pure. You guard yourself. You, you watch over your own life. Verse 23, probably the most interesting. No longer drink only water, <laughs> but use a little eno <laughs> for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Okay? Now, Paul... Is addressing a problem Timothy had. He had a stomach problem, right? And so he was saying, okay, Timothy, use a little wine for its medicinal value. And if Paul was writing in today's time, our time, he'd probably use something else instead of wine, something to help your stomach, okay? The point I want to get across is don't use this verse as the license to go drinking a little wine. Because one day you'll wake up and say, Pastor, I was only trying to drink a little. I just didn't know how little, little was. And now I'm drunk, you know. The little just became a little too much. Like I said earlier, you know, for us as a, as a leadership team, I don't want to enforce this on everyone. But for us as a leadership team, our, our, our standard for ourselves as leadership is zero wine. Right? I'm not going to judge you if you say, and I want to drink a little wine. That's between you and God. And, and you say, no, I know how to keep little, little. But that's between you and God. But as a leadership team, for us, our standard is zero wine. We don't, even, we don't use all these verses to give ourselves a license to, uh, to drink. Verse 24 and 25, Paul sums up and he says, so now he's tying back to the issue of sin. How you address that? What do you do in those things? And he says, you know, in summary, you know, I want you, I want you to know, Timothy, that your lifestyle, the outcome of your lifestyle will become evident. It will come out. So he's saying, you know, some mentions are hidden, but they will be brought out into judgment. Some people are already, you know, their sins are very apparent, very obvious, and, and they will be judged. The same thing about the good that people are doing. Some people's good is very obvious to everybody, and they have the reward. Some people are doing good, but it's hidden right now, but it will come forth into light, and God will reward them. So your lifestyle, there's one of sinning, one of doing wrong, uh, doing wrong or right, the result will become evident. The outcome will be there in, in time. And that cannot be hidden. So the key takeaway from chapter 5, 1 Timothy, is simply this. Honor everybody. Treat everyone with honor. Older people, treat them as fathers and mothers. Younger, treat them as brothers and sisters. Honor everyone. At home, honor. Honor parents, honor grandparents. Do what you can. And the church does have a responsibility uh, in addressing situations where people don't have the means to take care of. That's when the church steps in 
and meets the need, takes care of real widows. You all with me so far? Amen? Let's just invite God to move powerfully in our midst right now, just to meet needs and touch lives. Just welcome God to move and expect Him to move in this place. Take a few minutes, please, just to pray for yourself if there are things in your life that you want God to do. I want you to just pray for yourself and then also pray for other people in this place. And just say, God, if there are people who need to be saved, we pray they will be saved. If there are people who need healing, God, we pray your healing power will flow through their bodies. And there are people who need to be delivered, God, from oppression and all kinds of trouble, God, to deliver. God, work miracles. Move, oh God, in the lives of your people. Because we worship a living God, we serve a living God, and He invites us to ask. He invites us to have faith. So I want to take a few moments just to pray. Pray for yourself if you have anything. There's nothing you need to pray about for yourself. Just pray for other people in this building now. Father, we just invite the presence of your Holy Spirit to move upon us. Stretch out, Lord, your hand to heal and let signs and wonders be done. In the name of your Son, Jesus, in this place. We thank you, God. going to pray for, we'll start off by praying for people with nerve-related problems. You saw God just do something on Good Friday, and so we're just going to build up on that. So there could be all kinds of problems, damage that are caused because of damage to nerves, or to the brain, to the, the nervous system. So if you have any problem connected to that, I want you to, I'm going to pray from here. I want you to believe God. If, if you've got a pinched nerve, a sciatica, or something that's really troubling you, I want you to believe with me. If there's any other problem like that, you've hurt or damaged a nerve, some part of your body, it could be, you know, it could be in your eyes, it could be in a hearing, it could be some other part of your body. I just want you to believe God with me right now as I pray that I'm going to ask you to check your body to see if God has touched you right now. So people with nervous problems, any kind, small or big, I want you to extend your faith right now. Thank you, God. Father, we just pray right now for your healing part of love. For your healing part of flow, God, for those who might have problems in their nervous system, whether it's small or big, whether it's just a damaged nerve or something bigger. Father, in the name of Jesus, let your healing power flow. In Jesus' name, I command healing. 
to the nerves that may have been damaged. Command healing to the brain and all the functions that flow out of that brain. I speak healing to the nerve, the, the spinal cord and, and the nerves attached to it. In Jesus' name, Lord, let your creative power flow to make them well. Let every pain leave because of that. Let there be healing right now, right now. I also rebuke every spirit of infirmity that may have attached itself to those bodies. I command you to go in the name of Jesus. Every pain, I command it to go in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come upon them right now. Right now. Just thank you, God. Thank you. We praise your Father. Thank you. Okay. Other people, is there anyone here this morning? You, as we pray right now, you feel God touched you in your body, in that area. That just check your body. There's no, if there's any pain, the pain has gone. I want you to check your body find something has happened, just raise your hands. I can see you. God's touched you. Maybe that pain, that you had that pain constantly, but it's gone now. Just put your hand up if I see anybody. Anyone? Just put your hand up. Say, yeah, the pain is gone. I'm fine. Okay. I don't see any hands. That's all right. Okay. Let's stand up to your feet, please. Just continue. Before we close this morning, I just want to give an invitation for people here. If you've never received Jesus into your heart before this, the Bible tells us that we all need a Savior. We all need somebody who can save us from our sins, the result of our sin can bring us into a relationship with God and bring us into the family of God and give us meaning and purpose in life. So if there's anyone here this morning, you've never received Jesus into your heart and asked him to forgive your sins, bring you into the family of God, I want to just lead you in a simple prayer that you can pray with me, asking Jesus to do that then we will close. So let's just bow our heads, please. And if there's anyone here you've never received Jesus into your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I ask that you forgive my sins. Come into my life. Make me a new person. Make me a child of God. And help me follow you. And you alone. The rest of my life. And I ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Anybody? You pray the prayer with me for the very first time this morning. If you don't mind, just raise your hands. Anybody pray the prayer with me for the very first time this morning. I see your hands. Anyone? 
up in the balcony. Anyone? Okay. All right, I don't see any hands here. I'm assuming everybody. There's one hand, someone? All right, there's one. Let's put our hands together. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else up in the balcony? If there's anybody, you pray the prayer. All right, our greeters will come and give you a bag. I don't know, it could be a red color or a green color bag. And along with that bag, there's a little card that says decision card. We just like you to put your name and your contact number. Just give it back to them. It'll help us be in touch with you. And uh, they'll also give you instructions on what to do with the materials in that bag. In case you pray the prayer but didn't raise your hand, on your way out, on either exist, there will be creatures with these bags. Just ask them. Just tell them, I pray the prayer. I was a little shy to raise my hand, but I want that bag. And they will give it to you. Just write your name on that card, the decision card, and they'll give it to you. And we'll be in touch with you just to help you grow in your journey of faith. Amen? All right, so what did we learn today? Honor everybody. Honor everyone. Let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here Sunday morning. See you again. Have a great Sunday. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website, apcwo.org, for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.